This is the Let's Grab Coffee podcast, and I'm your host, George Khalifa. For uh, for folks listening, I guess, in the Chicago ecosystem, I think you would be familiar or at least know or, or be connected to Boya de Sobitan, if I'm saying that correctly. I'm trying to hit it perfectly for you. But uh, if not, and you're listening, uh, Boyade is the CEO and co-founder of Oja Express. And Oja is really a digital marketplace for cultural groceries. So as an example, being Middle Eastern, I'm always looking to make you know, a homeland. And sometimes it's difficult when you don't have those recipes uh, at your discretion, right? Uh, the whole point is they're trying to make that grocery delivery easier, but with that cultural twist. Um, and obviously being in the US, there's a multitude of different cultures. So it's uh, certainly a big market to, to tackle, man. Yeah, definitely, man. Thanks, thanks, man. Thanks for having me again, man. This is this is dope. Um, Chicagoans talking to Chicago and, and the world. That's it. You got to love it. Well, how about, how about we start with with this uh, in terms of kind of the whole idea with with Oja? I mean, for for people who don't know, have you been in Chicago for quite some time? Like, what's the background for you living here? Yeah, so um, I'm I like to call myself a Shigerian. Um What a Shigerian is. <laughs> is uh, uh, pretty much a Nigerian living in Chicago. So we just kind of combine the words. So um, like most African immigrants, uh, specifically Nigerian, um, we grew up in Uptown, came to Uptown. My family came to the US, lived there for a number of years uh, before moving to the suburbs. And then I came back to the city for college and pretty much have been in the city ever since. So um, I definitely have the real immigrant experience. I think Uptown and Rogers Park are probably the two most diverse areas of the city, if I'm not mistaken. From last I checked, mm-hmm. uh, you see a lot of different shops, a lot of different cultures. So that's kind of was my orientation. I remember my, my babysitters being Indian, my neighbors being Ethiopian, and it was just like this kind of United Nations of, of immigrants coming together to kind of help each other. There's nothing like it. I mean, I before I moved to Chicago, I was in Toronto for probably like uh, seven years in total. It's this melting pot of different cultures. So it, it was it was definitely more apparent that it was very diverse. When I moved to Chicago, though. I was shocked. I thought it would be more diverse, at least in downtown, but it seems like it's more on the right, like in the suburbs almost. Actually, more around the city. So Chicago is notoriously known for being a very segregated city, uh, which, of course, has its, has its disadvantages, meaning um, economic exclusion, access to resources. But then on the flip side of it, some a lot, a lot of these neighbors have preserved their culture. Like if you think about like um, Little Village, for example, or think about our Chinatown that we have Chicago in Chicago and just different pockets, Greek town. Little Italy, you have these different pockets that um, the, those cultures have been preserved within the city. So um, I think it's a beautiful thing. If you think about like Bronzeville, which is kind of like um, the equivalent of Harlem, uh, the Harlem in New York or Uptown, which I think has to have some kind of African designation. You see more African immigrants than Africans there. Most of our restaurants are up north. So you just kind of have to know where to go. But I think the city center, um, the loop, is typically just business focus, um, entertainment, and then when people will outside of the the loop area, you start to kind of get into the neighborhood cultures in the city. That's that's all, that's also a fair point. And do you feel like as a, um, you know, half Chicago and half Nigerian, like did you when you were growing up, did you feel that at sometimes you were kind of home homesick, whether it was you know to go back to Nigeria or even just taste the the the, the local food? I mean, as much as restaurants will be will be present. It's nothing like eating a, a local dish, you know, on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had that. That's what we, we grew up with. We never really did, did, um, moved away from that. My parents grew up pretty much making what they knew. Um, they, didn't, they didn't rely on cookbooks. And there were not a lot of, a lot of restaurants back in the you know, mid-'80s uh, when we were coming up. Excuse me. So 
you see uh, a lot of immigrants at the time would use a lot of uh, substitute products to try to recreate um, those dishes back home. And in, in doing so, it caused some harm. Like we know that a lot of, so for example, in Nigeria, one of the uh, staple dishes is called pounded yam. And here they would use, it would, they would actually use real like cassava style yams and make this dish as a swallow. But because they didn't have the availability here, the next best thing here was use bisquick. And you can imagine using bisquick, making this like big pot of a, of, a, of, a, of a meal, what that would do to somebody's health, the calories, the carbs that people were ingesting has had real consequences. And then you know, in future like, you know, years, stores started to come online, people started to import more because they saw the, the, the growing size of that community. So those issues were alleviated. But growing up, yeah, we, 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 um, we try to make our best and try to recreate what we had available and, and try to do the best we could to make it as authentic as possible. possible. Yeah, I, I could definitely resonate with that. You know, it's uh, even growing up, and whether it was in Ottawa, Toronto, uh, I grew up in a house where we always, you know, stick stick to the to the local dishes, and it was awesome. And from you know, from from time to time, we'll have like a pizza here and there, but a lot of it was uh, lo local home home meals. But to your point, it's kind of difficult to recreate items if you go to a grocery store that doesn't have maybe the spices that you use, you know, or, or even the the same kind of vegetables maybe it's it's just it's tough to, to kind of recreate that when did you really find that that was a pain point i guess obviously that led to oja but but way back i mean can you think about the first time where you're like why does it why isn't this readily available two inflection points that 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 really uh prompted us to start oja express the first was mine i was um, a consultant i was traveling doing the regular consultant work you know fly out first flight friday i mean for first flight monday last flight Thursday to your, you know, your client site and you come back. So effectively I only had like a two days in the city. I was pretty much like commuting to another city to work. And within those two days, my mom will call me and say, Hey, like, you know, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm resting, recovering. I've been flying and working all week. I just want to you know, enjoy the city. And she would want me to just take out two, three hours out of my time, um, out of my rest time to come help her do groceries at the quote unquote African grocery store. I'm like, there's no, they don't deliver. Like, there's, there's no way around this. Like, you know, and of course, with immigrant, right? With immigrant mom, they're gonna win that battle ten out of ten times. Like, they'll guilt you. They'll, they'll remind you of what they did, and like, you know, so I'm here doing it. And then like, I come to the store. Like, it's a, it's just crowded. Like, people trying to get their meats. There's only two registers. Like, 40 people in the store. It was just a horrible experience. And I'm like, yo, of all things I would want to do with my limited free time, this is the last thing I want to do. Um, and then the second opportunity came where the second inflection point came with was, my best friend who's a physician. His wife just had her second child under, I think they were under two years old. And she was using Peapot at the time when Peapot was in Chicago to do like her staple groceries, like eggs, milk, butter, all those different things. But then she, the other half or over 60% of her other grocery needs came from these grocery stores that we frequent. And I'm like, yo, this woman's going out like all of a month postpartum to go do this grocery shopping, like how come there's no service to, that's gonna deliver these products for you so you can make your life easier? And at that point, I just kind of made it a point like, yo, I'm not gonna wait for someone else to kind of solve our problems. I, I talked to a couple of friends, I had some friends uh, from various communities and they had the same problem. Um, a lot of the stores that they shop from are not tech savvy, don't have the capability to provide this level of service that a lot of us who've grown up here are accustomed to using Amazon, DoorDash, you name it. So that's where the uh, the uh, story for Ajax Press started. And it started a little bit as a passion project. Like, hey, we really want to get this going and, and really celebrate um, the diversity in Chicago. 
uh, because Chicago is one of the largest immigrant hubs, immigrant-friendly cities in the in the world. Um, so let's do this. Um, and then about 2020, uh, we got into Food Foundry, Techstars, and um, SoftBank's Emerge program, and that's when we became like a real solidified corporation business that, we, hey, we want to scale this out and make this a thing. Also, you're kind of highlighting the, the different cultural grocery spots that actually exist. Like right now, if you were to ask me, what are the, you know, what grocery stores sell African ingredients, as an example, I wouldn't really know. I'd probably have to Google it, obviously, but I feel like it's bifurcated. So one of the things that you're actually creating is a list of what's available to Chicagoans. What's available, what's authentic, right? Because sometimes what you have is, you have some of the bigger food players, like the Crafts and the Kellogg's of the world, they'll try to get like a Jamaican uh, jerk marinade. And if that's someone's first introduction to Jamaican jerk marinade, that's sad. Like, cause then you have real authentic brands that have been like cultivated in these countries that this is what the real is. So you're absolutely right. We want to make sure that people know what the real is um, and introduce them to food um, through this fashion. So we really feel that food is one of the best cultural ambassadors out there. When you sit down around a meal, like, you know, around a meal from different, regardless of who you're, who you're with, or where you're from, that tears down barriers. Conversations are easier to have. Um, you, you can tell those cultural stories a lot more vividly um, and, and, uh, and, and hit on a lot of different senses through food. Well, I guess regardless of which, which culture you come from, it's a very, very social aspect. That's actually one of the things, I don't know if you felt the same, I mean, I have, but, but even when we immigrated to Canada, that was one of the things we realized. In the corporate world, like food became a very independent thing. You know, you'd grab your lunch and you see it much more now. I mean, maybe not during COVID, but before, you know, I'd see people just grab their food and go to their cubicle or their office or their desk or whatever. And it wasn't, I was used to, you know, growing up in the Middle East, food, coffee. I mean, that's why if you ever look at the, 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 the coffee cups, ours are always circular, but they're also served in a, in a, in a round plate. And it's because you want to sit on a circular table. And funny enough, that's why, that's why Starbucks, if you ever go to a Starbucks store in, in person, they have those circular tables because they want people. It's a social thing. Um, did, did you feel that as well? You're, what you just highlighted brings up two stories. One, growing up, of course, immigrant parents are very frugal. We weren't bringing bologna sandwiches to school. Like, you're going to take the jollof rice, this goat meat, and like <laughs> a cup of water or drink some water at the water fountain. And this is what your lunch is. And then when I was taking lunch at school, people were just laughing. Be like, what's that? Ew, that smell, all that other stuff. Actually, there was an article written about that. I call it the Jalluff Day. So if people Google my name and Jalluff Day, they'll see it. But then one of the stores we were onboarding was actually a, um, a halal grocery store out in, um, out in the suburbs. And I, was there, I, I went there to take pictures. I think it was on a Friday. So everybody knows Friday is the Muslim day of worship. So the store owner was like, hey, we got to stop everything and we got to pray. And uh, okay, I mean, half my family's Muslim, so I, I, I kind of understood the, the, the cultural context. context. So we, they, they, you know, they prayed and everything. And then as we were taking pictures and bringing all, getting all the stuff ready for the store, the guy's like, hey, it's time for us to eat. And I'm like, okay, great, I'm gonna go to Chick-fil-A. Um, <laughs> I saw Chick-fil-A, I'm gonna go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. He's like, no, you gotta eat with us. So he got a whole broiled lamb, he had pita, pita bread, we had like a drink. He told me to go pull a drink from the frit, frit and we just started talking. Now, mind you, this is my first time meeting this man in person. We had phone conversations and everything, and we're now talking about our life experience over lamb. I don't know this guy. Like, this is my first. We, we just met. He said we got to pray. We got to stop. We got to stop work. He said now we got to eat, and it was just a, a really out of body experience. I'm like, yo, like this is not like a everyday thing. I wish I could have had a camera to capture that. Like people from two different walks of life two different cultural experiences, 
what brought us together was the uh, was uh, us being in the U.S. at the right time to kind of do something to amplify his business. And now we're sharing. I'm learning about his culture, about him, and why this matters to him. So now, when we go to upload their product, I have a I have a, a perspective. Right, like you actually care about. He's. They're no longer just a client, right? They're actually. They're they're really a a, a family business that you that you genuinely want to help grow through your platform. That's a different feeling, man. It's deeper than just uh, a transactional site like we have to we're responsible for telling these stories and telling them in the right way telling them in an authentic way for people to understand for people for both who are in the culture for people who might be a little bit removed from the culture we're trying to re-engage and for people who are outside of the culture totally you mentioned you went through a couple of startup uh, startup accelerators one being Techstars, the other being softbank i think accelerator and there there was another one I, I missed the name but food food foundry okay it's a chicago-based accelerator of course uh, a very well-known one as well Curious, uh, doing the three accelerators, was that, so before you actually entered the accelerator, did you quit consulting or were you still doing consulting? So my, so we, like I said, we were bootstrapping on Jazz Press for a while with the passion project. We were just, you know, doing what we thought was right. 2019 hit um, and my grandmother passed away. Um, and my grandmother's all the way in Nigeria and she's like the only grandparent that I had like a real relationship with. So drop everything, literally catch the, catch the first flight smoking. And then as I'm there, just kind of recollecting, looking at all these things about her life and all that she's, you know, sacrificed to do for her family. I got a chance to talk to one of her cousins and she talked about like, you know, some of the prayers my grandmother had for me about like, you know, making an impact and, and doing something purposeful. And granted, I was coming to healthcare, so healthcare is very purposeful. I don't want to um, like, you know, malign that experience. So I, it was literally like out of a movie. So I'm, in, I'm on a mountain in Nigeria like, you know, facing east, <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, yo, what do I really, do I really want to go for this? Like, and I, and I want to have a, a definitive answer of this experience. I can't have this half in, half out um, thing going on where I'm working and doing it on the side because it would never get to where it got to go. So 2019, when I came back, I'm like, yo, this is what I want, this is what I want to commit my life to, um, come what may. Uh, either we, we, we uh, fly this and it goes a rocket ship or we crash it, but either way, I need to know the outcome. I think that's what life is about. I think people are scared to fail or people are scared or want to play it safe and they don't really put themselves out there to, um, you know, experience things. Like, it's been, very, it's been very uncomfortable, but it's also been very rewarding at the same time. So 2019, pretty much spent like a lot of part, a lot of half of the year just trying to really learn, learn how to be a founder. Like, what does that mean? How do you talk to VCs? How do you talk to people within the community? How do you network effectively? Because all my network was in healthcare. <laughs> so now I had to kind of branch out and build networks outside of healthcare. So I spent time in 1871. I was in the um, the launch and grow program there, and then that that was at the latter part of 2019, which then helped me get to Food Foundry in 2020. And that kind of was the cascading event. And in doing all those accelerators, honestly, I had you had to I had to humble myself. So a little bit about my educational background: I'm a, I have a bachelor's degree in nursing, a master's in healthcare administration. Uh, been an administrative fellow, done a lot of different things in healthcare as far as administration. So now I feel like I'm going back to grad school with the accelerators. This is how you do this. This is how this is done. This is how you're worthy. This is how you do different things. So all those accelerators kind of stacked on top of each other, I felt like was a year of grad school condensed in a couple of months. Highlighted there because it's, it's really refreshing to hear as a first time founder, per se, you know, um, you had this kind of like inception point, right? Or uh, or, or sort of turning point, you know, where, where you were back home, it was very nostalgic. Um, you got closer to the family and you really had to make a, a decision where you don't. And to your point, there's no way that 
unless you're full-time operating this, this startup, there's no way it's going to take off or at least, you know, grow in, in, the, in the capacity that you need to. One of the, the interesting things too that you highlight is how accelerators are so important. And I think that listening, like 1871, I don't, I don't know if it still is, but anyways, at some point it was the best business, probably still is one of the top business incubators in the world and accelerators. You have Food Foundry, which is more of a food specific accelerator. You got Techstar. I'm sure those, those early stage uh, programs or initiatives really help a first time founder. Because to your point, the network is so important. I mean, th was that something that, that shocked you? When you go from healthcare consulting to startup world, especially in Chicago, how tight-knit this bubble of an ecosystem actually looks like? We were remiss to not mention a Polsky Center. Like, I literally was everywhere in Chicago. Um, and that was another thing that was, was a little bit of a uh, uh, shock because I come from an industry whereby, like, you know, you're judged on how smart you are and how accurate and right you are. And, and startup and entrepreneurship is a lot more network-driven, at least initially, right? Those like when people talk about friends and family, I'm like, yo, we're all first generation immigrants. We don't have like generations here of wealth to, you know, give people risk. Like this, you talking about me risking my parents like 401k, which is not that much to begin with, and and my friends who are in the same position I'm in, like student loan. Well, unfortunately, right. I have student loans, but they have student loans um, to to do different things. So that network of being able to like get people to believe in what you're doing was was hard, and how they went about it. Like I'm very matter of fact, right? Okay, you're in healthcare. You have to be matter of fact. This is the patient. This is the diagnosis. This is the treatment plan, and this is the expected outcome. Um, and some of that element does exist within the startup world, but it's a lot more nuanced, a lot more um, nebulous on, on what people are looking for. Um, and that was just a, a different way of thinking, different way of talking, different way of communicating that I had to learn. And I don't think I would have learned it otherwise had I had just had I had not gone to all the accelerators and pretty much put myself out there in a lot of different spaces. Good point there though, about round. I mean, this is something, again, I, I really hope people catch on to this, especially if you're not, let's, or if you don't, don't come to a background. Uh, this is where, and I, I did a post actually about this in terms of like, like empathy isn't enough anymore, man. Like you really have to educate yourself as to the position, the starting position of the person you're talking to. You know, it's kind of like that old age metaphor of like, I really understanding someone from their shoes. To do that, you have to, you have to educate yourself and be proactive to so back to your point around, and I hope that's what people caught. It's like you maximized every opportunity that was that was available to you in the ecosystem in which you lived in. Number two, same roadmap that might exist for someone who, let's say, has that generational wealth or has that access to network, might not be the same for you. And to your point, I love the visual that you you gave. Like you can't go to your parents whose net worth is tied to their retirement, and they already do. And I know from my parents, like the amount of effort and scrutiny and all the, the shit that, you know, immigrants have to go through to just to, to make it across the border and come to the U.S. or Canada with kids is unimaginable. And so to go back to them and be like, hey, can I ask to start this, you know, tech platform? I mean, my dad would think I'm like, it's just a different, it's a different environment. Because at some point, you know, you see the, you see the, the success story, you see the, you know, the Zuckerberg and the, and, the, and the Musk and the Bezos, and you think I can get there too. Because I'm a very much a believer, if someone can do it, that means I can do it too. Um, but then also like, did I have that when you go back and look back at their story, like, wow, this is where they came from. Oh, Harvard or the parents had this, they had that, um, that net, that safety net that if they fell, they were going to be okay. Well, a lot of immigrants, um, and a lot of black founders, um, some women founders or, or, or Latino founders, like they don't have that safety net. Like they're taking a risk and they're literally risking it all. 
Like if they if this doesn't happen, they don't eat. And that's why I think a lot of people don't take that risk, is because the weight of that risk is so great that hey, if I if I if this doesn't happen, then I can't feed my kids, or I can't pay my bills, or I lose my house. Um, so I'm gonna you know keep my nine to five and try to hustle this way up. And I think that's a lot of conversation that's lost upon a lot of the uh, VCs. They want to see you're full time in it. You're eating ramen noodles. Um, you're, you're, you know, you're working 25 hours a, a day. Um, you're responding to emails within like 0.2 seconds. You know, they're like, there's a lot more to that. So I think that is how, that's, that's one of the big, big eye openers for me about how to go about doing it. And I think one thing I did, but it was also my natural disposition. I was very, very savvy with my finances early on to put myself in a position where I could take a, I have a, a, a runway to take a risk. Um, like I said, I don't have student loans. How um, much time did you give yourself? Um, I'll probably give myself about, so when I initially quit, I said, I'm giving myself a year, right? And if a year, nothing shakes, I'll go find a job. I'm a, I'm a nurse. I mean, nurses are making crazy amount of money doing travel nursing right now. Like, so, right. So I'm good. And I have a, you know, I have a lot of friends that I can call up like, Hey, you need a director, you need a manager. So I'm good there. So, but I really want to make this happen. So, um, so I gave myself about a year, and then once the accelerator started rolling, we got our structure together, we had a plan, we had a clear roadmap of what we want to do, how we want to do it. That's when I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. A year, but like, and it may have, it may have happened before then, but do you, can you recall a time where you crossed maybe a milestone in the, the, the business that really gave you that affirmation that, all right, we're, we're going to go full steam, and, and I have more confidence that this is a legit opportunity for us? consider a milestone but it'll be a milestone for me um the fact that we raised um we we're able to raise our pre-seed round you hear about the amount people raised and you're like man how do they do, do that and then when we're able to raise you're like oh this is this, this can happen we did it um and then we were able to actually put we, we saw the impact of how fast we can move when we had resources to do it like wow like i had a co-founder as a cto who's building everything by himself like I, he, he was worn out like, you know what I'm saying? So now that he actually has to like, you know, three additional engineers, we're moving it like way faster than we moved before. We have a product designer on the team. We could do, put some money on marketing. Like you see things happen, like money changes things in that regard. And I think another thing for me um, was more of a, a personal milestone was just kind of going through that fundraising process. Um, I played, I grew up playing football, American football here. And you no, know, it's cool to see it on TV, you know, running down the sideline and things of that nature, but like, the process of being able to play football, like getting hit, taking hits, that that's a process in and of itself. So taking those hits during that fundraising trail was a, some, a, a point of personal growth and development for me because it was probably one of the hardest things categorically I have done in my life. I mean, for, for aspiring founders listening, specifically maybe if they're minority founders or immigrant founders, just curious, like what, what I know you said it was very difficult, of course, uh, um, but just curious, especially in Chicago, if you can give some light, I think that would be helpful. Oh, uh, one of our first checks in was actually Chris Deutsch uh, with Lofty with Lofty Ventures. So that was a huge uh, validator. And I think Chris and I, we Chris uh, played uh, I think lacrosse. So Chris kind of has that athlete mindset, right? So I think what Chris saw in us, and he told us like, "Yo, you guys are gritty. Like you got that dog in you." So we were not going to give up. Like if I had to go drive Uber or put in some night shifts um, in the hospital to like fund what we had to fund, I was, I was ready to do it. Like, this is, this is what I'm staking everything on. So Chris put in, um, I think with, in Chicago, we had a couple of other people in Chicago. We have Long Jump um, uh, as one of our, Gary Cooper, 
Shout out Gary, Gary Ablorde, Tim, the whole team, um, uh, the whole team at um, at um, at a Long Jump, and all the LPs that a lot of them are from Chicago too. Um, so we had, so we did have some Chicago support, but a lot of our support came from outside of Chicago. Interestingly enough, um, some of it came from uh, a, we did a pitch competition at uh, at Warden, and we won their MVC competition. Um, that put us on a spotlight there. So it, honestly, it's a grind. It is really a like it's really a grind. So I think having a process, having a prospect list. I talked to over 197 investor uh, investment firms, and I think about 15 wrote checks. In terms of like that's actually a good effective rate, but still like just so people understand. I mean that's that's 200 different outreaches, and I'm assuming it's a mix of like social media, like LinkedIn, email, calls you know connecting to to get connected it's everything you you, you got to do this and be a dad and and do all the other things you got to do i don't know i don't know that you had, you had a child I, I got two boys 10 and 5. oh no way it, it took a, a a mental toll on me um because again like i said i come from an industry where you're right or you're wrong like right. there's no two ways of right no gray area here like what am i doing wrong did, did my breath stink did he smell my breath through the zoom like oh did i maybe i didn't have my hair cut that day like like or maybe i put my voice down a little bit pissed a little bit lower so it's a lot of stuff that goes into it but uh we are fortunate we're thankful for our investors um who who, who believed in us and then we, we think we're putting ourselves on the right track to to really really grow and blow this up i'm pumped man that, that, that's really solid to hear and i guess what what worked just maybe one more question what what was the medium that worked best for you you mentioned like almost 200 outreaches but curious was there because you're more systemized than your consulting background if you were to give a very high level you know one minute process to do this again for let's say another startup what what would you do three steps high very high level access to uh, access to data crunch base pitch book if you're in college you already have access to pitch book if you're a founder Chalk up that two ninety nine a month if you can afford it, or find someone else who has an account that you can share. I'm sure PitchBook wouldn't like to hear that. Sorry, PitchBook or or a Crunchbase, whomever. Um, and start to target, like really find, find uh, look at companies that are similar to you, um, that have been funded and may, maybe a little bit further down the line. Maybe they were Series B or C, and you're like at a pre seed seed, so it's not too competitive. And then kind of list those all out, and then start sharing that list with uh, democratize that list amongst people you know. Does anybody know anybody who works here? And then start having conversations. I think now what I've learned now is about building a relationship early. Like I literally had a, uh, two uh, VCs that I took out to lunch. Like, though, I want to talk to you and I just want to get feedback. This is what we're thinking. What are you thinking? What are you saying? What do you think about market multiples? And I think another thing with other founders too is definitely read every book you can on investment. I got a couple books here. Uh, Any ones you recommend? Uh, definitely, uh, venture deals is an automatic. <laughs> you have to read that. Uh, the entrepreneurial Bible for venture capital, entrepreneurial business finance. Um, I think there's one called Sand Hill Road. I read, but also one of the things I did. So when I was a, a, a practice administrator, I ran a cardiology practice. I wanted to be successful, so I read a book by a gentleman by the name of Jerome Grootman, Grootman about how doctors think. I really want to know. I'm, I'm the I'm managing practice. I'm working with physicians, cardiologists, who have um, they're they're pretty up to as far as the ego <laughs> in, in, um, in healthcare. Um, so it helped me understand the challenges, the thought process, the sacrifices doctors think. So I'm like, okay, I want to know how do VCs think, 
and really get it in their minds like what does v, what matters to VCs. And then once I kind of understand that a little bit better, I was able to have a lot more nuanced conversation. Yeah, I love what you said about the 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 data list and you can't get it yourself. I always ask someone. I mean, I'm I'm sure at the end of the day, if, listen, if, if you have a license with BitchBook, I know they don't they don't they don't like when you share your your username and password, but you have downloads uh, per month and if you're paying for it, you can do whatever you want with it, I think. Um, I mean, you're still paying for it. So obviously, I'm not saying go and mar market that, but I'm just saying, you know, you got to do what you got to do, man. If you're a startup founder, you you have to be resourceful. And that's just one example. Still in school. So I like, hey, do you have a, uh, your school have access to this? Like, yeah, okay, this is what I need. Here's 20 bucks. <laughs> like, so, like, email this over to me. And then you kind of build your list out. And then you try to you know, um, our, our test our MD was very, very helpful, which is why these accelerators are good. Because again, we're first time founders. A VC is going to re uh, respond to her before they respond to me because she, she has MD, Techstars, VC on her name. That's, they're, that's a college. And they're, they're, they're probably friends. They, they know each other. It's different when I say, hey, you got to talk to Oja Express. I know the founder. He's a cargo. It's just a different, it's, it's, it's more warm than cold. Exactly, exactly. Two questions. What, what are you seeing are the, the growth opportunities for you? Well, I mean, this article that just came out, we just got this, what, a couple of days ago from Food Processing and Processed Food that says between 20, um, from 2021 to 2028 or so, that ethnic food, the ethnic food market is gonna grow to $98 billion. Um, last year, in 2021, they did about $45 billion in sales. So that's like a 10% you know, compounded annual growth rate. So we think there's room in the market. Um, so that's, that's one. I think another big thing that's helping us is just demographic shifts that are changing across the country. Um, and then lastly, I think just people want to feel and have brands that reflect them. Um, meaning that like, I don't like mass market is not the thing anymore. And we see this in like, you know, in sneaker culture, right? Oh, you got that drop or you got the, you're the only one that has access to this. So we want to kind of have that same type of, uh, panache for lack of a better term with regards to people saying like, yo, if you really want to have some, you know, real Persian X, Y, Z, you need to have this app. Or if you really want to have this, you need to know how to find X, Y, Z. We want to be that to the community. And in doing so, and by doing so, we want to do that by up-leveling the abilities of these stores to make these stores smart so they can serve communities better. Do you feel like uh, Instacart or any, because maybe that, that might be a question on someone who's listening on their mind in terms of, like, you ever, do you ever think the, the larger, you know, the, the, the larger the delivery groups like an Insta, as a, Instacart as an example, would get in the space? And if so, why haven't they maybe before? Um, I can't speak for why they haven't. I can tell you that their sales process is a lot more efficient than ours. Um, they, I know Instacart really blew up when they were with Whole Foods. Um, I've been watching them for a number of years. But like when they sell to the you know, VP at Kroger, they get all the Kroger's across the country, right? As opposed to us, if we sell to a supermercado, that's that one supermercado, we gotta get another one. So that, that's, that's, that's one aspect of it. Um, two, um, I, I can't speak to it. I, I can just speak to what we're doing and why we're doing it. Like, again, like we're trying to be a culture forward um, platform built by immigrants for immigrants, but like, and for everyone else. Um, again, our whole vision for Ajay Express is to ultimately become the United Nation of groceries at your fingertips. So if Instacart wants to jump in, we, 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 we welcome that challenge. Um, but we think that um, also the, 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 the logistics and the technology of these stores are so limited that it's hard for them to kind of to partner with. Not, not a lot of the stores that we work with can effectively partner with 
um, a company of the size and magnitude of Instacart. Well, I mean, it's true because all, all their, if you look at like who their lists are, I mean, it's Mariano's, it's Jewel Osco, it's Whole Foods. They, they can probably deal with the demand, right? You're targeting every audience uh, and, and really the platform is only focused on that, which is kind of cool. Do you ever feel like on the flip side of that, it, it's difficult explaining the tech piece to these you know, smaller boutique groceries? Like, has that been a, a difficulty? Absolutely. You got to think about it from the standpoint of a lot of, a lot of our, the people we work with have been a little bit scarred from technology, right? We've talked to, we try to talk mm. to an owner the other day, like, no, 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 we don't want any technology. My, my brother used to own a cab medallion and then Uber came and wiped him out. Or my, uh, my cousin in, in Philly owned a restaurant and, and, and um, X company took so much money they, were, they had to shut down or they weren't making money. So a lot of technology has been posed to many underrepresented communities and immigrant communities as disruptive. And that's the message everybody, we're gonna disrupt this market. And we're positioning Adjai Express is that no, we wanna complement this market. Technology could be constructive and we wanna be able to help you and use it to help you not necessarily take away or decimate you. And I think that's how we've been able to get around that, on that conversation because people are hesitant. They think that you're trying to take or uh, you're trying to manipulate or you're trying to do something unsavory because their experiences with tech, with you no know, family members or themselves, has been such. Eventually, I think you'll get there. And it's probably why there aren't many playing in the space, you know, to get that curve going, right? Like that's the, the other part of it. A lot of grit, grind, hustle, effort, all that stuff. But you're also, you're a father of two. There's a lot going on in your world. And I'm curious, and you touched a little bit on these things, but curious, how do you stay level level-headed? I think my kids humble me. Uh, my kid, the kids definitely humble you, especially at 10 and 5 year olds. So you're talking to them at different levels. So over the summer, I think uh, I got a chance to pitch at, uh, at the Chicago, like the Windy City uh, Crosstown Rivalry with Wintrust Bank. And my mom wasn't available, my cousin wasn't available, my sister wasn't available to like watch my sons while I had to do this pitch. So the only option I had were, I had two options, either I pull out or like, you know, I bring them with me. So the people who put together this, this pitch competition say, hey, bring your sons. So here I am in like, you know, the Wrigley Field offices up north and my sons are walking through, seeing everything and inside I was like, damn, like I never saw this. <laughs> like as a kid, like they're seeing their dad pitch the business that hopefully would change their lives somewhere down the line. Um, of course, they took all the advantage of it. They ate all the free food. <laughs> that was it. Got drink all the drink. Like you guys know, but I can't be a dad right now. So have fun, cause you, cause you know, there's broccoli after this. Um, but, um, but yeah. So I think those, those, those are what, what uh, having my family as an anchoring um, impact. I think also understanding that when you're building a business, at least for me, it's be, it becomes beyond you, right? Especially when you're building a, a business for a community. And when I think about where I was and where the world was before Ajay Express and where we are now, where we're going, that humbles me. Cause now there's gonna be a kid or a parent or a family member who's gonna move here as a refugee, um, as an immigrant or somewhere and have something that they can connect with. And that's what I kind of think about when I, when I, th when I get down or when, it, when it's tough, like, yo, we're building for the future. And like the only time, the only distance between now and you know, your vision for the future is time. So give it time to kind of get there and materialize and kind of gel because you're serving you know, people that are unseen, probably even people, some people who are unborn um, that's going to use a product and, and be thankful that someone thought about them to do so. 
well, listen, I'm, I'm super proud, man. As, as someone who recently had the pleasure of connecting and, and meeting you, and I, I feel like we have a growing friendship, but, uh, you know, as a, as a, as a former immigrant, uh, you know, obviously I salute what you're doing. I'm, I'm a big fan. And uh, to have you on at some point to talk about, you know, the next chapter, hopefully uh, some, some big milestones ahead for you. Definitely, man. I remember when we first met and we just like, we hit, we hit it off right away. So I'm, I'm glad, uh, <laughs> right. So I'm, I'm, thank you for the opportunity to, to, to speak with you, speak with your audience. And um, yeah, uh, this has been a, it's, been, it's a tough journey. Um, it definitely don't want to make it seem like it's been um, a cakewalk, but I think um, the, the power of the Chicago ecosystem, um, Chicago is a hard city to crack. It's a, you got to prove it here. Right. If you if you, you got if you don't prove it here, you don't have you don't have a you don't have a, a network. It's hard to prove, but fortunate for the Chicago ecosystem here to to you know to back us, and um, we hope to make uh, you know my family proud and the city proud. If you found this podcast useful, make sure to share it out with your community. And if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the podcast. I'll see you next time.